Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome to another episode of Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan, and man, season two, it just keeps getting better and better. Thanks for, for checking it out. Um, man, this is like what, ep- te- technically it's like episode 14 or something like that. So if you haven't checked back, uh, get into the the catalog of these episodes. Some great gems from some wonderful comedian uh, writers that are back there, all the way back to episode one. Don't miss out. Uh, the like. Brian's putting on the screen here. Great way to find all of the details, breakingdownbits.com. Brian is just a, uh, a wizard at making websites. It's a beautiful one. It actually is helpful. It actually is fun to look at. It's actually functional. I got to give him uh, some praise for that because most comedian websites and podcast websites just suck. Yeah, I wish you didn't make me sound so racist in that compliment, calling me a yeah. wizard, but uh, <laughs> absolutely a good, like good a Merlin, time. Like a Merlin wizard. Uh, uh, okay, I got you. Absolutely a great time to get into callbacks, which is where we talk about our last episode with Sean Patton. Woo. What did you take away, Drew? Man, I mean, that was such a fun episode. It was probably oh, our yeah. most fun episode of all, but really great gems in there. Like uh, to me, the best part was talking about not getting rid of those old bits. If you love a bit and maybe it hasn't worked yet and, and don't just give up on it completely, maybe put it on a shelf, hang on to it. Cause you never know when something in the world might happen that will align for this joke to now be relevant and powerful and real. That's exactly what happened to him. You have to watch the episode to get the full story. He had this bit shelved it. And then before he filmed this live at the Comedy Cellar bit, something happened in the world that made this Airbud bit uh, so perfect. And uh, yeah, he said like that that bit might not have existed if he if he had you know just give given up on it. Now it's like um, you know it's a, it's a really really funny bit. It just took the right setup to make it work. Yeah, yeah, I love the the teaser that you put online where it ends with a dog gets elected mayor in Vermont and then it just cuts. If, if there's not a cliffhanger out there better than that, I don't know what is. Uh, so you got to go out and check out that episode with Sean. What I took away was a little different, uh, less about writing and more about just your comedy scene. Comedy scenes can be difficult, right? You hear this, it's the, it's the largest work organization without an HR department. Uh, so it can be challenging to navigate. And one thing he said that really stuck with me was that, uh, uh, you know, going up to introduce yourself to new comics is obviously can be challenging. When do you do it? How do you do it? Uh, and he said something. He's like, you know, comics are insecure and that doesn't stop at your local level. That goes all the way to the top. And I'm like, OK, so some of this might be their own insecurities in, in a lot of cases. Uh, so you don't have to take it all so personal. And at the end of the day, we know how everybody says it that comes on the show. Just be funny on stage and everything else works out. Yeah, great, great stuff. Wonderful episode. Sean Patton, uh, check it out, breakingdownbits.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And and the fact that you're listening right now is a good sign that you know how to do that already. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest today. Very excited. Let's uh, watch a quick video. Tom Takar is a comedian living in Brooklyn by way of Chicago. He got his late night debut on Conan in 2017. He's known for co-hosting Comedy Central Radio and Sirius XM's You Up with Nikki Glaser. 
creating and hosting Stand By Your Band, and was chosen to be a finalist for NBC's Stand Up for Diversity. You've also seen him on Doug Loves Movies, in Vice Magazine, and on This Week at the Comedy Cellar. Tom was recently featured on Comedy Central Stand Up Presents at the end of 2019. Hey, Tom Takar, how are you, man? Hey, there we go. Pretty good. I th- thanks for the thanks for the little intro there. I appreciate it. that. Was so professional. This is a this is the real deal, huh? We know how to edit videos here. <laughs> That's big. <laughs> I I think most comedians should take that as a lesson. Like you you should work on writing jokes and all that good stuff. But if you can learn how to edit a video, that is huge now. That's uh. That's big and learning how to caption and stuff. It's yeah, pretty, for sure. Pretty, that's a bit more important now than uh, being funny. <laughs> you know, we've heard that more and more from from comedians saying, uh, like Sean Patton last week was saying, like, man, he sucks at the online stuff, and he wishes that he had got on that train sooner because it's so important now. Well, I talk about it on the on uh, my podcast a lot, which is uh, stand up with uh, Tom Dekar. There it is. Look at that. Yeah, so ready to go. I love it. Uh, I talk about that all the time where I uh, I saw Mark Marin give a speech at Second City when I was kind of newer, when I first moved to Chicago, and he said exactly that sort of thing. It wasn't about the online stuff as much, but it, it's applicable because he was like, look, I put all my eggs in the stand-up basket, and it's not smart because there's so many other ways to be successful in this thing. And if you, you lean all into one, if the industry shifts, now you're less prepared. So he was like, do improv, do sketch comedy, do online stuff. And I would, I would say that is applicable to, to things like do TikTok, do YouTube videos, do all this stuff because you never know what's going to be the thing. And uh, I'm guilty of it too. I, I put everything into stand up and writing and then just hope for the best, you know? Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you brought up your podcast, Tom. That's where I got to know you. Uh, of course, that's the stand up with Comedy Central. And, and I, let me be honest with you, the uh, the first couple episodes that I caught, you were super depressing, uh, which and, and I can't judge you for it because New York was shut down and you weren't able to do stand up. And now that I we're episodes and episodes in, I've gotten to know you more intimately through this podcast and I love it. But it was just they took away your favorite thing. It's, yeah. it's ultimately what it was. Yeah, it was tough. And I was when we first started it, uh, I was in L.A. and I was and I was away from all of it. I wasn't seeing anybody. I wasn't doing I was just doing Zoom stand up, which uh, I actually th- it helped me a lot. I'm happy that that at least existed. But we were talking about all this comedy stuff and especially what you guys don't hear on that show is um Coach T will just say he will prod me a little bit and be like, "Man, this is bullshit. You can't even do stand up." And then he edits himself out saying all that shit. So it's just me whining. right into it. He gets me all worked up. But yeah, it's exactly that. They t- we we can't do stand up the same way we were doing, and so it was. And it was also we started that podcast in the height of the pandemic. So yeah. It was like, Right when everything, had, all my weeks had gotten canceled and like I was, I had just gotten done with this writing job and I was all hyped up to go on the road and get back into stand up. And then all of it just week by week disappeared. And I remember when we started, I had this moment of like, 
well, maybe next week we'll be like, maybe next <laughs> month I'll be able to do these shows and then never coming back a lot of those weeks. And the, some of the clubs closed. So it's like, it's just not happening, you know? Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm in, you know, I'm in pretty good spirits these days compared comparatively, I'd say, you know? Yeah, you started, yeah, like kind of throughout the timeline of the show, you started getting gigs and then your your attitude started to get better. I think you're more comfortable too with the show and with the format. And y'all are doing a great job. So check that out. Stand up with Tom Takar. Uh, Joke Detective's great. Y'all are now taking jokes uh, through the website from from the listeners, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. We got a few pretty fun segments that, uh, that we've been having a good time with. I like the listener uh, submitted jokes because, man, some of them are like, so brutally not a joke and some of them are so offensive and i'm like <laughs> in what world would we read this on the show but uh it is fun and it's it's fun because i get to read them and pick them and then try to see what coach thinks of them because he's got a, a very specific his sensibility is always going to surprise me it's it's really fun but joke detective is one of my favorite things it, it's given me so much homework to do in a way that i look it's it's if if you're if you like stand up, listen to that show. I'm just assuming if you're listening to the show, then uh, you like stand up. But it's my it's my dream job because I get to listen to stand up and pick my favorite shit, and it's 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 super fun. Yeah, that is awesome. So one one thing we like to just uh, get into early in the podcast is what 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 breaks did you get early on? What did you do early on as a comic that that kind of led led you into the place that you you have a Comedy Central you know, a podcast and you're, you're a touring comic. What, what took you from local comic into kind of a, a bigger name and a touring comic? I, I would say, and I'm sure a lot of comics feel like this about their careers. It's never one thing. It's always like a pile on of a bunch of different things. But uh, the first one was the comedy club in my hometown opening was huge because we didn't have a, a, a legit comedy club. And yeah. then all of a sudden, all these huge names were coming through. And as you worked your way up in that system, you got to open for them and meet them. And that's, those are usually the people who end up helping you because those are the people who recommend you for just for laughs, which is the festival of Montreal where a lot of people get their breaks. They get you in with comedy central, stuff like that. Uh, you mentioned her, but uh, Nikki Glazer started taking me on the road from seeing me at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. That helped me. People like Matt Bronger helped me. Oh, wow. uh, it's always other comics lifting you up. So uh, getting access to those people and having them see me at a club where they are, you know, it's they're already there. Uh, that helps a lot. And that's why you see scenes like Denver, where there's a great comedy club pop off. Uh, Atlanta, you know, there's <clears throat> there's all these clubs that comics who are not from major cities get to, you know, link up with, with bigger names to get helped out a little bit, you know. Yeah, I think that's I feel like that's common. I, uh -oh. I actually started. I promise my, my Internet's good. Uh, <laughs> We're good. Yeah, I think you see that a lot. I, I started comedy in Nashville and oh, no. um, and so there's a there's a lot of people that I that I knew from the mics and stuff that like hooked up with other comics and now they're openers. Now they're touring and now they're, they've really gone a long way in like the last couple of years. Do we lose you? We still yeah, got that Tom. stuff is so important. And, and also, uh, okay. I, I can hear you guys now. It, uh, it, 
yeah, it it went out for a little bit, but um, yeah, I think that stuff's big. But doing doing just for laughs and also um, getting in when I started doing uh, the the Comedy Central radio show on Sirius XM that that helped me a lot too because it got it got me a little bit more of a relationship. Actually, yeah. you know what my you know what the biggest turn for me was. There were two is I was in New York and um, I got to get into this club called Caroline's. And it's so weird how this happens where um, I was I was, you know, hustling in New York. I had already done just for laughs, but I, I wasn't, a, you know, a name at all. Not that it, I'm a big name now, but it's I had nothing going on, really. But I was, you know, doing shows in New York. And I, the the guy who casts he casts Seinfeld happened to one of my tapes. I think my manager sent him my tape as like, hey, this guy wants to audition for things. And he liked my stand-up and was like, I don't have anything for you to audition for right now, but would you want to do this showcase at Caroline's? Because of that, he got me on this big showcase at Caroline's. And then the booker of Caroline's, Lou, happened he was like who is this guy because everybody else on the lineup was famous and so he goes who's this guy watched my tape and then called me and said do you want to headline my club and i was like what what are you talking about he goes i just watched your tape i'm a big fan and i want you to headline carolines and i couldn't believe it and um he he also helped me get on conan he's the one who emailed conan uh, conan's booker for me and also the the other thing that went in tandem with this is I did a festival in Portland called Bridgetown. And mm-hmm. it was I just had one of those lucky nights where I had one of the best sets of my life. And I, it just so happened that a couple important people were in the room and you never know when that's going to happen. Uh, I, I just got lucky. So, um, yeah, I'd say uh, it was an amalgamation of all of those things that helped me get a little bit of heat going uh, to where I am now. So to, so to summarize, uh, your local scene, find that club, get exposure to those comics that can bring you up, uh, eventually get into a market or like we kind of talked about at the top, maybe you, you focus on web and using the web as your, your platform to get your name out there, but one way or another, get in front of the people that are making the decisions. Uh, of course, the whole while being funny. There's no, that, that's the subtext of everything. You yeah, just said. that's the yeah. other thing is you got to do well the whole time. Yeah, yeah. if you're not if if you if you get in front of people and you're not doing well, but that's the thing. I did it for a long time before I got anything because I had been told, which I'm sure you guys have probably heard this before, but you don't want to move to the city until you're ready because if industry sees you that your first impression is going to last a long time. And I've had industry people tell me that people at comedy central have told me that they go, it is a little more impressive when somebody comes here and they're already polished and they already are good. And we've never seen them before because we go, Oh my God, who is this person? Whereas if you're somebody who's, you know, a little newer and people are talking about you and you blow it a few times in front of them, they're like, well, that person might be good, but they're not ready. And they're going to think of you like that for a long time. So I had that in my head for a long time. And that's why I moved to Chicago instead of New York, because Chicago is a great city to just get better at stand up. And same with, again, cities like Atlanta, Denver. I've heard Houston has a great scene. Uh, Austin has a great scene. I, I almost moved to Austin because 
I had heard so many good things about it. And I, then going there, I spent a summer in Austin basically because I was just doing Cap City and the local shows. And it was, I, I was a very viable scene. And you can do that without getting too much in front of the industry and you can build your, yourself up and keep getting better. And it's a competitive scene. So you have people around you who are funny, which is so important because otherwise it's hard to keep pushing yourself. So uh, I th- think I think that helped a lot too. It's just getting yourself ready to do well in those spots. Yeah, that that makes me feel good about being in Houston. You're right; it is a uh, competitive, but and there's a lot of mics you can get to, but zero industry. <laughs> so you can you can yeah, mess up yeah, all yeah. you want. Yeah, it's great. We have oil, the oil and gas industry is doing very well, but the comedy industry not so much. <laughs> There you go. If BP rolls into a show, you might uh, if, you yeah. know, have some if trouble. If BP but. starts competing with Comedy Central, watch out. Houston's going to well, pop off. That's why gas has to start off in cities like New York and stuff because it's like, well, I don't want to go to Houston <laughs> because I'm not ready for that industry to see me. <laughs> so uh, we want to. We'd love know. to get into. Um, also, your your writing. Uh, we we always ask this very open ended question. Take it wherever you want. How does Tom Takar write comedy? Uh, it's I, I'm glad you guys ask people this question because I remember I used to listen to podcasts all the time to try to figure this out too. And I because we call it writing. And when you think about somebody writing, you're picturing them sitting at their desk with a little lamp and a pen and with a quill and ink in there, they're, they're just, uh, you know, toiling away uh, throughout the night. And uh, that's not how I write. That's just not how I do it. Every once in a while, like if I, if I'm alone in a hotel or something, or every once in a while at home, it's pretty rare. Now I'll just sit and write in a notebook for, you know, I set a timer for 45 minutes an hour, however I'm feeling. And uh, if I'm being honest, that is rare. The way I usually write is I have to have a show. I have to know that I'm going to be on stage usually that night because then I'm picturing myself on stage saying the things I'm going to say because a lot of times my writing doesn't totally match my speaking. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's Mm. I'll I'll write something and then I go to say it on stage. I'm like, that's not how I talk, though. It doesn't make any sense that I would write this way. And so what the way that I write is I talk. I just talk out ideas. And so, for example, I I had a 12-hour drive to Indiana uh, a couple weeks ago. To me, I go, that is what I'm going to write because I'm going to have – I turn everything off. I don't have music or podcasts. I just zone out and think and picture myself on stage, and I I talk ideas out, and I usually record it. And if there's anything that I think of or say that seems like it could be something – then I'll put it in my notes app. And that's how I write. That's how I've written. Almost every bit of mine comes from that. Uh, it's I can think of where I was when I wrote almost every bit that I have because it's like, oh, it was just me talking to myself or me sitting in a steam room just forcing myself to think. It's usually just times that it's what most people would call meditating, I guess, but it's usually times when I just force myself to have zero distractions and I'm not... I don't have a pen and paper. It's just me thinking out loud. Usually meditating. You talking about liberal prayer? 
That's so. right. <laughs> that line, I'm so glad that uh, you guys mentioned it in your email because it's one that I, I almost didn't use. And then a comic was like, what happened to that liberal prayer line you used to say? And I was like, ah, I kind of just stopped doing it. it did, the problem with that bit is I would do it on the road. And a lot of times that would just be a dead zone within myself. I would just say that and it would be funny to me, but it would not really get anything. And then I'm glad I put it in the half hour because... It did. It, I feel like a few people have reached out about that line specifically. But I did notice you left it out. Of, you left it out of Conan, but it was in your half hour. That's because with Conan, uh, you have to be so tight. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. The the time the timing is very specific on Conan, and they wanted you to get. They want you to get within this really tight window, and so it's a trade off of lines. You go. I I'm gonna trade that one for this one, so I can. So I can fit this in because the idea of going over on late night is is death to me. It's it's the thing where that's the one thing they're like, just don't don't go over and don't go under because you're you're screwing everything up. So uh, I had to it's I had to turn that one. Out. Literally terrifying to be like, what you mean if I like if I have like, what if your brain explodes in the middle of, and you're like, I know how to another tag for this? Like, nope. You have to like fight all the urges that you would normally lean into in a regular stand-up set, and just go like, "I'm just going to absolutely monologue." Well, and I I riffed a line on my Conan that didn't play. It didn't. I, I didn't sell it hard enough, and then that threw me off, and I almost fucked up my next. I did fuck up my next line, and yeah. I, nobody else noticed. My mom told me she noticed because she was <laughs> she was just like, "Yeah, I, I, I saw there was this little moment." <laughs> <laughs> yeah i the riff did not hit it was because i say uh potato or nazi and then i tried to yeah. call conan a potato and then that yeah it uh, it, it just didn't hit and it's because i stumbled over it i think i was just i what was weird is i wasn't nervous i was more just like this is so weird it's it's a very weird experience yeah. because it you're supposed to look at a certain area of the crowd and not really look at the other side and it's all lit up and it's it's not like you're used to performing because it's it's a completely different thing it's also 4 p.m it's very strange but it was i was i was surprised because they clap a lot and i i've I've heard this from a lot of comics where it's like oh they clap in places that you're not used to there being applause and then you're like do i wait i and then you're thinking I have to be done in four minutes and 50 seconds and they're clapping. I, uh, I gotta get to this. I gotta get to my line, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, yeah, I had to cut, I had to cut some stuff from, from that. So that, that sounds like really difficult circumstances to do stand up. And I've heard those experiences very similar to what you've said. Of course they haven't been calling me yet. Uh, but, but when they do, maybe I turn it down because it sounds awful. Uh, <laughs> no, it's no. the best. I I'm yeah. really bummed that, uh, like that was one of my goals for this year is to do another late night spot. And then all the goals disappeared because of a little thing called COVID-19. Uh, well, you remember what Sam Talent said? We, we were watching one of his tapes and his tape was like, a an audition for, uh, JFL. JFL and in the middle of the set he's like shut up I'm trying to kill I need to keep killing <laughs> he, like told the crowd to stop laughing so he could get under five no, minutes <laughs> Drew he told the who's the famous uh, booker for JFL he said he, he was making Jeff eye contact Singer. with yeah yeah he was making eye contact with him when he yeah. when he said that 
<laughs> that's funny because it's like that's a thing where there's no way they would have not given it to him for that. Uh, but that's a funny line. That's uh, that's really funny. Yeah. So the next thing we do, we kind of touched on it. How do you prepare for a late night set? <clears throat> but but maybe talk to us about how you'd pair, prepare for like a, your, the Comedy Central thirty that we're going to look at, or, or maybe a longer set. How do you prepare? Do you do set lists? How do you how do you get in the mode for that? So I I I make a lot of set lists. The way that I do is I write out with something like the half hour. They wanted they I and late night that sort of thing. They make you submit all your your jokes and your lineup of jokes and they're a little looser with it with comedy central because it's they can edit whereas something like a late night spot it's just that's the set for the most part every once in a while they'll they'll take something out but that's pretty rare but uh yeah i like to make i make set lists like it's it's just like when i'm headlining i i make long set lists and there's little notes and then i just keep rewriting the set list because then it gets locked in your brain uh that's that's one thing I've noticed. It's the same when I when I audition for something. If I write out the lines, I'll I'll memorize it better than if I type it. It's just, I don't know why that's the way it is, but do you just, actually it, stick to that slower. set list? Do you because a lot of people say they make them and then they just uh, and then just uh, bail on them. Do you actually stick to it? I it depends. Like I, I was just in Indiana this week or last week, like I was saying, and I did some some longer sets. And in those, it's like, okay, here's my window where I'm going to play. And sometimes that's right up top. Like if there's something that just happened right before my set, or if there's something happening, if there's like something on the stage that's distracting me, then it's, yeah, then I'll just play around for a while. I heard Pete Holmes say this thing once that he and TJ Miller had a game where they would try to see how long they could go without doing any material on stage. (laughs) And I liked that. I I was into that for a while. And then I saw TJ Miller a few times, just completely bomb (laughs) and lose an audience doing that shit. And I was like, this wasn't interesting. And I did want to see what your standup was. And so uh, another thing is like, usually I'll have a note that's, it's not like a set list per se because there's no bit it's just like here's a thing i wanted to talk about and that's at the top of my thing sure. and so i'll just i'll just do that uh so it's still technically my set list it's just not a bit that i have and or have been doing and mm-hmm. uh that's that's really fun to do that's easier to do in longer sets though like tonight i'm doing three sets they're all gonna be uh like 10 minutes long in those, it's I, I have a little room to play, but it's you just don't have as much room, especially in New York, where you want to do well, you know, consistently because there's too many comics. It's very competitive, so I don't like to fuck around too much, other than stuff that I already, you know, think is gonna work. I, I have a little bit of rope to play with, but for the most part, I just want to, you know, do the jokes that I have written down. You know, certainly. Um, what what about um, last seconds before you step on stage, do you have any sort of pregame rituals or some sort of preparatory things that gets you in the right headspace to have a great set? So I have a couple of these. Uh, I don't do them that much anymore because I don't really. I I think that something that's nice about comedy is that you don't get as nervous. The there's I don't think about it a lot of the time yeah. before I go. Right before I go on stage, there's no moment of like. I got to do this. It's usually just like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, this is the thing I've been doing forever. But if there's a set that I'm a little anxious about, I do this thing uh, where I sing 
the theme song to this uh, this show that me and my buddy invented called graveyard baby and about a baby about a baby who just lives in a graveyard alone and he like tends to it and is uh he's like friends with the little critters that walk around and he plays with the bones and stuff and uh graveyard baby all his friends are owls and so i'll do something like that on my way to stage because it's Wait. like it's a it's a way to remember like oh yeah this is all stupid and it's supposed to be fun for me Wait, is this a thing I can watch somewhere on the internet no. or no? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. We just we we just talked about it for a long time, and so I'm gonna take that audio clip and I'm gonna put some music behind it, and you're gonna have a legit theme song in about 30 minutes. Sure, I, I, I thought, love it. I thought I saw him singing backstage. Now I know what it what it was. Grave. If you <laughs> if you hear if you see me like just whispering to myself like a little music, or another thing I owls. like to do. Friends are owls. <laughs> I did this right before I went up because for the. Comedy Central presents. I w- I was a little anxious because that was my dream. Like growing up, that's truly the thing that got me into stand up, and it's why I love hosting the podcast that I host. Because Comedy Central half hour specials were everything to me. They're the reason I got into stand up. I love them so much. I would sit in my room and just watch them for hours. They used to do a thing where they would just play Comedy Central stand up specials <laughs> over and over and over again. So I watched these things all the time. They don't do it anymore. And it really bums me out because I loved it. And I'm glad that now we have the podcast at least so that I can do it for people because I want people to hear this great material that's out there, but I would watch them all the time. And so doing that special, I was like, this is truly my, my dream. Like, this is what I've wanted to do forever. And now, you know, I think next I want to do an hour or some form of another special. But at that point, I mean, that was the goal is to do one of those. So I was a little nervous. So the, what I do when I'm ner- a little nervous, but I want to shake it is, and I did it before Conan. And I did it before I did JFL too. I will post on my Instagram story uh, asking if anybody uh, has any ideas for some funny shit I could say up there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just silly to me to think of like a comic who's scrambling at the last minute. He has nothing to say. And I, I used to do it in green rooms a lot. I used to have little games I would play for myself where I would, uh, I would ask whoever, whatever comic was near me. I'd ask if it was okay if I partied up there (laughs) and watching them interpret it was always really fun to me. Just someone going, what? (laughs) Like, what do you mean party up there? And one comic thought I meant do Coke, but I just meant, I just mean have fun. That's it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but asking if uh, anybody has any ideas for some funny shit I could say really puts me <laughs> at ease. Anything that I could do to make myself laugh before I go up, that's that's where I want to live. That's that's what calms me down because it, it brings me back to like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I And I hate comics who take themselves really seriously and they're all like and i they have much better careers than i do a lot of the time but i have more fun than anybody doing this so it's i and it's not i don't mean like i'm going up there cracking myself up constantly i just mean i'm doing this to have fun more than anything more than to make money or to get some sort of success it's to have fun performing and making people laugh it's and and yes 
writing things that I enjoy. That's that's my favorite thing in the world to do. Well, that's like that's such a that's such an important thing. I know for me personally, you know, me and me, me and Brian make no secret about it. We are newer comics. We're we're not in a place where we're doing, you know, sold out shows every weekend or anything like that. But um you can get really focused as a comedian and, and maybe this, like I said, more of a young comedian thing, really focused on, I got to work through these jokes. I want them to work so bad. I want to have a great set. I want people to like me. And you, and I get super serious and, and, and kind of freak myself out. And when I, and I, when I do sets in that frame of mind, it's totally different than when I'm hanging out with my friends and I go, Oh, sweet. I get to go do some time on this show, man. I'm in such a fun mood. I'm happy. I want to have a good time. Uh, those those two performances are wildly different for me personally i know yeah yeah that's exactly it it's uh and i remember doing the only times that i can remember where i was i felt myself be nervous on stage or i doing jfl i remember being really nervous because i didn't have my like at the time i've become really close with a lot of the people who i did that with but at the time, I always I like to have a buddy around who I'm like, I know I can make that person laugh. Like <laughs> if I do this weird thing that's just for us and no and it's not like a thing where I'm just doing some joke that bombs and it's funny to us. It's there's little winks almost within a set where you're like, I bet I can jam this word <laughs> into my set and that'll be a fun game for mm. me to play. I kind of need things like that to make it really fun. I was doing a thing. Um Last when I was at the comedy attic, I was there was a pumpkin on stage, and the game that I was playing is seeing how long I could get away with uh, talking about the pumpkin or spinning the pumpkin on my finger like a basketball. Like there were like little things that I wanted to add to my set just to make the comics laugh, but it was also funny because I framed it the way I was trying to frame it in a way that would work for the audience too. And sometimes it didn't, sometimes it didn't, but it was it made me have fun. It, which made the rest of my set fun. Like you can, you can reinvigorate jokes that you're tired of or jokes that you're like, I know how that joke goes. There's no room for me to have fun within doing it other than just performing it. You can reinvigorate those jokes by adding these little flares to your set that, uh, that, that make everything else more fun. I learned that I watching Rory Scovel really changed how I do everything because watching him do the same jokes in different accents he would just throw some weird ass accent in and then do his whole set like that and i was like <laughs> that's what you do that's what you have to do if you want to stay fresh and keep yourself excited to perform and people can feel you being excited to perform um yeah i did i did the same thing when i when i uh i auditioning for the comedy seller i was really nervous too because that's a that's one of those things where you get five minutes if you go over your time they're really mad at you and I just saw some comics in the corner watching me. And so I felt like if I just did something weird, it would be like something very dark. And then I would just get out of it. And that's what made me happy to do it. And then that made my set go better. Just having little touchstones to uh, to keep it fresh. But yeah, you have to have... If you're not having fun doing this, I truly don't understand why you would do this. I'll never understand comics who are like preachers, you know, like I'll never get it other than that. They want to have, I mean, success, which is, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that, I guess, but I don't know. Is there any fun for them? I wonder. And it's like, that's the whole seeing Todd glass did that for me too. Watching Todd glass back in the day, 
seeing him play on stage and how he would stay up to like four in the morning every night, just laughing and like doing bits with people. I was like, that's the whole, that's what I want my whole life to be like. I love it. We had, we had Nori Davis on and he talked about bringing joy to the audience. I'm sure you know Nori from up there. I love Nori. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And his whole thing was bring joy, you know, have happiness and share joy. And like, that was, that was so, uh, that really helped me think about just about what you just said, which is, you know, be, find a way to be excited about being there, being happy about being there. And, uh, and I love it that you have this personal story, this personal song, this thing that you wrote with your, with your friend that helps get you in the mood. If, if nothing in the room can do it for you, you can always re- resort back to that and maybe get your nerves down for a really big set. So that's a great tip. I feel like we need to make that's a graphic. Exactly yeah. I feel like this deserves a graphic. Maybe the very first breaking down bits graphic. It's the Tom Takar <laughs> nervous uh, level chart. And if you're just a little nervous, Graveyard Baby gets it done. It's really no big deal. Yeah. And then if he's a little more nervous, if he's a little more nervous, then maybe we got to like put the word kumquat into the set somewhere. And then, like, <laughs> as, as it gets progressively, we gotta, is there weird shit that makes, I should say, text goes out? You know, like there's the graphic. Yes. Well, the best thing is just have a new bit. Like that's the thing that will always mm. make it more exciting. But sometimes you just don't. And it's, especially when you're doing something like a TV set or like a audition set, you're not going to do a new joke, despite what movies will tell you. It's always funny in stand-up comedy <laughs> movies. It's one of my, it's one of the funniest tropes to me. They do it in every movie about stand-up comedy where the comic has a big moment in his career. The, the movie punchline is really funny about this where Tom Hanks is auditioning, I think for just for laughs and he just, or maybe it's for some TV thing. But he just starts crying in the middle of his set. He just gives some <laughs> crazy speech. In, in Kumail's movie, The Big Sick, they do it. That one's the least egregious of it, but it's still funny. And I loved that movie. But uh, the moment where the JFO bo- booker, who is clearly Jeff Singer, uh, but he has some weird name, but he's wearing the same hat that Singer wears. Um, <laughs> and uh, Kumail's ex-girlfriend at the point is sick. And he instead of doing his JFL set, he just starts going off about what a uh, boyfriend he wishes he had been to this girl. <laughs> and it's like, it has, n- there's no comedy to it. It's just a breakdown. Nobody would do that. It would never happen. <laughs> that comic would do his set, probably not do well because he was upset and then, and then leave sad, <laughs> but he would not break down on stage. It just doesn't happen. This doesn't really add to the climax of a movie when he's like, and I did the same 20 jokes I always do. <laughs> like that's not exactly. a real It doesn't story. work for a movie. This is why stand-up is tough to do in movies. It's uh, it's not it's not a you know film thing. Well, I've I've got some homework because I have not seen Punchline. I'm that's where I'm going after this. I'm excited. Punchline is one of the it's it's not good at all it's but it is funny to watch yeah it is funny to watch uh have you seen have you seen comedian yeah oh yeah several times okay. right. love it just, yeah. that's the that to me is the best uh stand-up comedy movie by far they, even though they make orny adams up to look like such an asshole but uh, uh, yeah. it's it's a great movie uh, uh, i don't think that they had to try too hard <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that they were stretching there and i have nothing against orny adams personally. I've, I've only i i ran into him once at the comedy cellar but i've never met him but uh, but I've heard some other stories that uh, <laughs> don't that don't make the light that he's shined uh, shown in uh, comedian seem uh, too inaccurate. But uh, <laughs> it's all th- here's the thing: it's all things he did say and do. <laughs> like that moment when he's laying down on the ground. Yeah. The thing is, he is also really funny in that movie too. Yeah. When he's when he's laying on the ground and he realizes that. 
he's gotten just for laughs, which is a huge accomplishment. And, uh, and then he realizes he's made like 15 phone calls and there's nobody else he can nobody. call because it's him. It would be rubbing it in. And he he's miserable again. He's like, I was happy for 15 minutes and now it's <laughs> over. And it's, that's a great moment. It's, it's also a great lesson where it's like, if you get all of your happiness in this out of little successes like that, you're going to be miserable. And that's why a lot of the most successful comics we all know are the most miserable people in the world because they can't, they haven't found a way to find joy in the process. It's all in, I got it. And then I have 200,000 Instagram followers. Now what's next. And it's, you know, it's not, there's no joy in that. Yeah. Well, let's let's go ahead and set up the the clip. So uh, the last thing we ask is just about that day. So it was in New Orleans, I believe. Uh, you know, why New Orleans? Uh, how what, what did you do that day preparing for the set? Anything else that we need to know? Any other context? Sure. So this is uh, it was New Orleans because that's where Comedy Central does all their half hour specials that for the last three or four years. I think it's probably some sort of union thing. I have no idea. It's a very <laughs> I, always, I, th- I assumed it was because Comedy Central people love to party and that's a great city to party in. And uh, I was like not nervous. cocaine party, just regular party, <laughs> just regular party. Uh, it, I was, you know, I was nervous out of my mind. I was truly worried I was going. There was a chance I could bomb because it's not easy to perform in New Orleans all the time. And not every set is hot. I, and I had also done I tried to do some warm up sets. And they were in these loud bars and uh, <laughs> they would be like very drunk people heckling and shit. And I was like, I'm trying to run this set. Uh, <laughs> and so I, my nerves were shot. I, I went on. Uh, I, w- I hadn't I hadn't drank all month and I was I, I took a month off of drinking and I was exercising like crazy. I that day I, I listened to Jesus in full and ran 10 miles. And then I. I had to kick my manager out of the green room because he was trying to give me joke ideas. And uh, that it was just a very stressful time. And I was like, I just, I was just alone for a while and I was going through my set. I did the thing where I posted uh, with some funny (laughs) shit I could say up there. And I, you know, I was, the, the other thing is I had to change up my set list a lot because I had done another set for comedy central a couple months prior where they were like, you can't use the same material. So I did, I was doing, I was essentially burning like 40 minutes uh, for Comedy Central within a three month period because I, I didn't want to bomb this other thing too. They're for their t- Comedy Central digital, Comedy Central featuring sets. Mm-hmm. I did the first one. So oh, wow. I didn't know, nobody knew what they were going to look like. They were like, oh, it's not going on TV. It's just going to be on their website and stuff. So I was like, I don't know if I, should do my best on the like i should i save my best stuff for the for the special or should i do it here i don't want to bomb it's my first thing doing comedy central maybe they'll take away my half hour if i bomb so i burned some of my favorite stuff on that and now i'm left with this stuff that i i didn't do on uh on my half hour so i was also worried i was like what if i what if i messed this up so these are all the things running through my head and then the second i stepped on to the stage i was like oh this is great i i couldn't have been happier and felt uh better about it and it's the thing i'm most proud of i'm very proud of that special awesome let's let's go ahead and run the clip i'm having a great time in nolens it has very, been very fun it's nice to i live in new york and it's good to be away from there i'm in a good mood i was having a rough week in new york people are mean to me 
in New York. I live in Brooklyn. I just get heckled on the street all day. I was walking down the street the other day, and a guy called me a Big Bang Theory-looking motherfucker, so it's good to be away from there. Um, he didn't even name a guy from the show. Isn't that messed up? He was like, you're the whole thing. Can I have a picture? We took a picture. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I get, I get shit all day on the street in Brooklyn, partially because I'm ethnically ambiguous, and people are always trying to figure out where I'm coming from, you know? Like, I was sitting in the park the other day trying to meditate... Yeah, meditator, as I call it, liberal prayer. And this guy saw me, and he goes, go back to Guatemala. <laughs> he said Guatemala. That is so specific, man. That's like a racist Hail Mary to throw, you know? He's like, if that lands, that dude's going back to Guatemala tonight. It's over for that dude. I'm going to win my pool. <laughs> I'm not from the beautiful land of Guatemala. I'm half Indian, in case you're trying to guess. Yeah, a little half Indian boy. Hell yeah, weird thing to woo at. Um, I, am, I am half Indian. Sometimes when I tell people that, they'll say this fun thing where they're like, oh, half Indian, huh? Feather or dot? Yeah, you ever heard that before? Some of you have said it. I can feel it. I know where we are. Um, feather dot. What a fun, flirty way. <laughs> to marginalize two cultures, you know, with two words. What racist efficiency, right? Like, I want to be racist, but quick. I got shit to do today. I ain't got all goddamn baby putting your little ass down, all right? Pop quiz, hot shot, feather or not. Keep it moving. Like, oh, okay. I'm on your time, I guess. Feather or not. I'm going to start doing that to white people, yeah. Next time I meet a white person, I'm going to be like, oh, white, huh? Potato or Nazi? Yeah, they like it. Yeah. <laughs> See if they enjoy it. Yeah. 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 I am a dot, by the way. I know it's bothering some of you. That's fine. <laughs> dot? I know the shirt had you fooled. Um, <laughs> this shirt says feather all over it, baby. Dot is fine, you know. As far as slurs go, nobody cares about dot, you know. Dot's not even really a slur, you know. Because you have to say something angrily for it to be a slur, right? Right? And nobody's ever said dot angrily. Nobody's ever like, hide your curry. Some fucking dots just walked in. Looks like a goddamn game of Pac-Man in here. All these dots floating around. Is that an ellipsis that just walked in my bar? Three dots in a row, huh? You got some nerve. Yeah, I'll do ellipsis humor. I'm not afraid. Um, you might notice I don't have, like, an Indian accent at all uh, because my Indian father left before I ever heard his voice. So this is what I sound like. I, it's, it's a bummer, so I can't do, like, a fun racist impression of him that I'm sure we'd all enjoy, you know? I mean, I'll try one. I don't want to bum you guys out. <laughs> My dad would be like, uh, I do not want to be a father. Is that good? I don't know what he sounds like. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not to my house. Um, yeah. I've had four different Indian people come to me after shows and be like, hey, man, your dad probably left because there's a lot of pressure in Indian culture to not have, like, mixed-race children. It's, like, a weird thing from the older generations, but 
he was probably just like ashamed or something. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, cool, thanks. Thanks for the good news. I feel much better. Uh, a lot of healing done tonight. <laughs> my dad actually died a few years ago because my vision board worked. And, uh, <laughs> He was, he was dead to me already, but I was playing with a Ouija board recently. Yeah, I was getting all spooky and kooky with a Ouija board. And my friend was like, let's get a little spookier, you know, a little kookier. So we tried to contact my father with the Ouija board, yeah, and nothing happened. And my friend was like, oh, it's not working. And I was like, no, this is so my dad. Um, i love that pop at the end such a such a fun set i and i love i love anybody who shares like their story kind of the 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 personalness of comedy i think always connects with me i always love feeling like i i get to know the person a little bit through their comedy that that's a fun uh place for me and so a great set i really love this one thank you and i i want to say uh i this kind of relates to what sean was talking about last week where I'm 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 proudest of that chunk of material because I I had to work so long to get it to work because mm. for a long time me talking about my dad dying would bum people out and it would I would get on and it wouldn't it right. wouldn't do that well and I fought through and I kept tweaking it and I realized little things I could do to make it work and I added more jokes to it but writing stuff about my dad took a long time. I mean, I it, it took me a long time to get that where it ended up. And the fact that they let me do some of that on TV really makes yeah. me happy. The the closer on that special, I still am shocked that they let me do. I couldn't believe it when they let me do it. It's where I just sing Welcome to the Jungle, and I keep starting it over and over again. And I remember opening for – I opened for this comic, Ryan Stout, and he literally said to me – I was at Go Bananas in Cincinnati. I'll never forget. He goes – that bit will never be on television. <laughs> it, it felt so good when I saw it actually air. And I, I also remembered something when I heard myself. I forgot that I said, uh, what's up, Nolans? There's like the little things that I was talking about earlier that I add to my set to make myself and my friends laugh. I had a bunch of friends uh, who were sitting up in the balcony uh, for that special. And I came out and I called the audience I go, what's up, crawdaddies and shrimpy mommies? And my buddy Connor goes, as soon as you did that, I knew you were going to do well. As soon as you said that and I could tell you were having fun, like that's that's all it is. And they cut that and it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't matter to me that they cut that. It was for the live shows, a silly thing to say to a crowd of shrimpy mommies. What the fuck does that even mean? It's nonsense. <laughs> But the fact that you could say it and everybody's like, all right, I guess that's what that guy's calling us. Uh, that's, the part, that's the weird part about comedy. As, and, and Sam Talent spoke to that. He's got a joke that is totally, as he, in his own words, totally nonsensical. It's not a joke. doesn't make any sense. It's just a, a string of words he puts together. And there's not really a punchline to it, but it gets a laugh because... I don't know because of the way he says it, because of the yeah. inflection on it, because it's a little a little tidbit. I don't know. That's I and think sometimes that's the- if you just find little things that make you laugh, and then people, if you, it's like what Sean was saying, which is that if you if you really believe something is funny, you can usually sell it at some point, and that's the whole game. Yeah. 
I was just listening to Scoville on uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast, and he was saying that if you can sell it, if that's what it is, it's selling it and convincing people that your dumb idea is funny. And that's what, uh, yeah, that Welcome to the Jungle bit is like that. But also the stuff about my dad dying. And what's really funny is I, I just, every once in a while I'll see this because, and it's it's no fault of theirs, and I'm not mad at people for doing it, but I have friends who will get into f- arguments on Facebook uh, with people who comment on that video because Comedy Central basically posted that video in full that you just played. And it's on their Facebook. And I shared it the other day because it was the anniversary because it was November 1st that it came out. And... I'll it, I'll get a no- notification that's like uh, this person uh, commented on the video because it's a friend of mine and it's usually that someone's calling me racist against white people or, or they're saying that I'm not what? Indian enough or something but it's always white people who are mad <laughs> at the at the bit and it's so funny because if you listen to that joke it's so much more offensive to Indian people that's the whole <laughs> point of it it's me talking shit I used to be worse because I would say all this fuck up my dad and it, i only cut those because they it became redundant i was i was doing the same yeah. bit basically twice where i was like i had these weird stare i'm i was like i'm racist against indian people like what's up with indian people never showing you how to throw a baseball like that sort of thing where it's, <laughs> it's just based on my dad and, uh, but doing that accent that's another one where i was like i can't believe they let me do it and that's one yeah. where conan uh the booker conan was like there's no way you're doing that accent on the show uh <laughs> but it's i mean it's my it's my father so i get to do it and i uh it's i love shit like that i have a chunk about my stepdad also that is some of my favorite stuff that i do because it's it's what you're saying it's it's real like it's it's uh, a little bit about my you know my my actual life we can turn that stuff into comedy i'm really proud i also do like just the silliest shit that you can think of though too and so yeah. you know it it goes it goes both ways i like to i like a little diversity in my in my act you know i did i did like your racist efficiency in making fun of indian people uh but, but that's a good segue into cho- <laughs> word, word choice and relatability because i've watched a bunch of your stand-up uh some of the things that really hit me personally we talked about earlier ethnic prayer because i meditate like a like a crazy liberal uh, and uh yeah the, every uh, time i meditate i think of that too <laughs> yeah now i can't see yeah that's right now you come up in all my my meditation it's supposed to be a, a space of uh anyway uh the other one that yep. i really liked which is maybe a throwaway is vision board my wife made me do a vision board one time and that one was kind of stuck in there that hit me really personally mm-hmm. uh, so but i find these things littered throughout your stand-up nice. that just yeah. pull me in and make it really relatable and just one other quick thing. The top of what you do is you disarm everybody uh, by basically saying, I get made fun of a lot. Guys, I get picked on a lot. And then you kind of have the freedom to do whatever you want at that point if you if you framed it right. And I, and I think you did a masterful job of that. Yeah, I, had, I, I appreciate you saying that because I lose track of that sometimes. And a lot of the ways that I frame my things is me being a, like a silly victim in some ways where it's like I'm not – it's like I'm I'm a victim of something, but I'm not actually you know upset about it. It's just a thing. This is and it's how I live my life too. I I got punched in the head on the street the other day, and I my first thought was like this is awkward. <laughs> like it's just an awkward moment because the kid ran away, and I was I it made me laugh thinking about it because I was like all those people just saw that happen to me, and now I have to just be 
on the street. I'm not going to chase this child. It's just yeah. a funny predicament to, to go, well, time to go about my day. <laughs> I just got punched in the head. And you, that's just you totally part got of it now. You totally got Rick Moranis. I got man. Rick Moranis. Yep, that's what that's what people are calling it. I think he got Tom Picard. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that, I had a buddy years ago tell me that though, where he was like, "You are a guy who just bad things happen to." <laughs> that's most of your standup. For a while, a lot of my act was about like my my ex fiance leaving. So it was like they uh, that was like I remember somebody coming up to me on the street in my hometown and going, "Hey, you're that sad guy." <laughs> and, um, and it was funny to me because I was like, "Yeah, that's that's what I've presented uh, on stage." But I I'm not sad. I'm just uh, I I think it's funny when bad things happen uh, in my life. <laughs> One thing we always talk about a little bit, it, we try to get into the performance side of comedy a little bit since we are looking at a video. I noticed you're, you're not a very, I wouldn't say you're like a, an overly uh, physical comic, but one thing that you do super well I'd love to hear your thoughts on it is your facial expressions are very pronounced. And I think we've, we've talked to several comics that say some that a lot of comics lose that and they become these stoic joke tellers and they and they don't emote at all you uh i think it brings so much more passion and energy what kind of decisions are you making as a performer on on how you act out your bits well it's usually not uh something i think about it's just the natural instinct to perform a little bit because i started in an improv and uh not that i was doing it long term and i always wanted to stand up more but i it's i learned to perform and that's what I wanted to do is perform. And I still, I, I like performing my jokes. Some people's jokes are funnier when they're stoic and they, they don't make any facial expressions. I think a lot of my stuff is I like, a, I like to make things a picture. I like to people to see what's happening in my brain. And it's, you do that better when you uh, emote and you express what you're trying to do. If you can embody what you're doing, uh, I think that it's, it makes it funnier in some, in some cases, but yeah, it's not something that I'm actively trying to do or not trying to do. It's just what I find funny. And so if I find this guy who is a dumb, it's usually somebody told me this once where it's like, you're very good at uh, being angry without being a turnoff. Like if yeah. you can do angry, funny, I think it's, I used to love Will Ferrell as a kid that he was like my, <laughs> he was one of my favorite comedians. I, I loved him on, on SNL, of course. Uh, and he, his facial expressions are so funny. And if you can do that, I think uh, you can get away with a lot more. And so I, I, I think I like it for, for that. Uh, I want to say, I was really worried about doing comedy in a mask because of that exact thing. I, I knew that where I was like, I do a lot of facial expressions. I'm worried about it. And I realized if you're really performing, if you're really committing to whatever you're doing, your eyes can do all that work too. It's, it's yeah. weird. It's You've got I powerful eyebrows. You got very powerful <laughs> eyebrows. Uh, hey, they, they, they're that. telling us, they're telling a story when you get angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that it's a lot of angers in your eyebrows, but being, Funny angry is some of my favorite comedy to watch. So I'm yeah. sure it's a lot of that rubbing off on me. I never thought about that, but that is, that's a very interesting and strong point. If you can be angry and be funny, angry, then that is, that's powerful. And Will it's Ferrell and it's, did that so well. It's true. The worst is when it backfires and you think you're being funny, angry, but it comes off as angry, angry. And then, then people hate you. So it's, it's, it's a tough line to walk. And I've definitely been on the wrong side of it before. 
but uh, usually it's a it's a type of yelling that's making fun of somebody's anger because it's silly to be angry, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I like it. Well, that's a it's a good opportunity for us to transition into our last segment. Uh, humor me while we look at kind of a uh, interesting graphic. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so the way the segment is called Last Laugh, and the way it works is you, you have one joke that you can put on your tombstone to be remembered by. What do you, what do you take, Tom Takar? Can't be, be somebody else's too. So hard. Uh, this is, I, I gotta be honest, I've been slightly distracted this whole show because I've been trying to think of what this would be. Because I know that I have an answer to it. I just am I'm blanking right now. And don't and, say crawd, crawdaddies and shrimp mamas. That doesn't. <laughs> I have I have two, but I I one of them's not really a joke. It's just a tweet I saw, and I can't even remember who did it. So I feel bad. Uh, I feel bad doing it. Maybe there's a norm one that I could do, but I was thinking of uh, I'm not a pizza man. I'm a pizza man. Uh, just, <laughs> that's the first one that came to mind. If I had to pick one of my own, it would probably be uh, either. I used to have a line about how I wanted to be buried. I wanted my grave to be a Wi-Fi hotspot, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Wi-Fi I'm going to go password. with. <laughs> it's a I think that's that's actually that's not bad. Um, that's not bad, but I think I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, why do pigs always have? Uh, why do dead pigs always have an apple in their mouth? Uh, oh. You're dead, bitch. It's too late to eat healthy. Um, I think that's the one I just remembered it's an old tweet of mine that uh, I've I've been trying to pull old tweets but all my stuff now is Ken Bone so it's it's, everything's uh, buried Uh, but yeah I'm going to go with that I I love it well, very good. I'm going to put up your your website and it's very simple. It's tomtakar.com Yeah, uh, I got to update it I got to update it Yeah, sorry (laughs) T-H-A-K-K-A-R, you got it You got Um, it but yeah, I'm not. I, I'm doing some stuff, but uh, comedy in New York is, I think, technically illegal. So I don't know that I can say <laughs> yeah. anything I'm doing here. I'm, but I'll I'll be uh, I, I'll be attending some very funny dinners um, <laughs> that are happening around the town, and uh, I'll be in Denver at Comedy Works actually uh, with Melissa nice. Villasenor this oh, month. Yeah. I think that's November twenty nineteenth to the twenty first. So. If you're in Colorado, uh, come do that, I suppose. And uh, yeah, that's that's I like I said, I'm bad at updating my website, so it's probably just easier if I tell people where I'm at. You're all and good, then, and all your social, all your social connects are at Tom A Takar. My Instagram's just Tom Takar, but if you search Tom Takar, you'll find me. It's the other guy's truly not active on uh, social media at but all. But he does have so. a sweet motorcycle. Yeah, at least such we know a that. sick motorcycle. God. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny if somebody was like, actually, I'm a fan of this guy. Hey, look at that motorcycle. That's, uh, that's all the information they have. Uh, Seems yeah. like a pretty cool bro. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thanks so so much for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, check out the my podcast, uh, Stand Up with Tom Takar, and uh, Stand by Your Band as well. Yeah, well, dude, thanks so much for the time today. Uh, love your love your comedy. Love the conversation today. A lot of great nuggets in there. Uh, appreciate what you're doing, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Hope to hopefully New York will open up, and we'll all get a chance to enjoy that wonderful comedy scene again soon. Hell yeah! Or hope to see you in boys in Houston soon. Come, Come down, down, man. We got you. We'll put you. We'll Hell put you up yeah. somewhere. 
Let's do yeah. it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. This was so fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, join us next week for John Caparulo. Looking forward to it. And uh, that's been Breaking Down Bits. Y'all be good. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.